kingdom of God is what we're exploring for between now and really after Easter up until June. And we're in the Gospel of Matthew. We're looking at all the various, there's, we can't look at all of them, but there's, there's many different times and ways that Jesus talked about the kingdom of God. We could say it was his most preached on topic, uh, more than anything else, really, that he spoke of. And it's surprising how we, in, in churches, we don't talk enough about the kingdom of God, even though it was so near to Jesus' heart. And so last week we introduced it all. I hope I didn't lose you because I covered the next like six months of sermons in about 30 minutes. It was, well, it was a wild ride. So if you missed it, check it out. Uh, this morning we are in Matthew chapter 3, um, uh, page 957. We're looking at the introduction of Jesus' ministry through John the Baptist. So as you're turning there, I say 950, 957, not 953, uh, in, the, in the Red Pew Bibles. As you're turning there, I want you to imagine this morning, all right, you wake up one day, look on your phone, you have a voicemail from a strange number, and you listen to it, and it says, the voicemail says, the president of the, the, president of the United States is visiting Wilmington. He's bringing with him the Prime Minister of England. And they've never been, to, you know, he's never been to America before. I'm sure the one there now has, but this is, you know, we're making this up here. And he wants to experience just a regular old American meal in a regular old American household with a regular old American family. And you've been selected to host dinner. And it's happening in a week. All right, so imagine you get that phone call. You probably wouldn't just say, huh, I'll wing it. Right? You would... You would get up and you probably had the nervous feelings like, holy smokes, this is crazy. And you would get to work, like immediately, right? You would figure out what you're cooking and you would clean your house and get the kids' toys off the ground and start really prepping for the visit. Our second sermon in this series will be looking at a similar situation in Israel. It had been some 400 years since a prophet had spoken and the king, there has not been a king sitting on the throne. The king had not walked into that place for quite some time. And John the Baptist is here to announce, hey, he's coming. The leader is coming. The, 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 the kingdom of God is at hand. The person we're waiting for, he's coming for a visit. He's, he's coming really soon. And so that is what they're getting ready for. It, it, it's, a, it's like that phone call, right? You're preparing for, for a king to visit, right? Quote, unquote. Well, John the Baptist was calling Israel to be prepared for their king to also visit. But what we're going to see this morning, and the, the sermon took some different turns this morning as I was reviewing it and praying through it, is this visitation of the king is going to be not exactly what they were expecting. And even for John the Baptist, who was announcing it, even he was caught off guard by what happened. I, I, I read somewhere this week that, um, you know, sermons, they can either provide comfort or they can confront, right? This good. We need both, okay? We need the comfort of the scriptures, but sometimes we need to be confronted. This is a confrontational uh, text this morning. This story is a confrontational story, and I, I pray that our hearts are soft and ready to be confronted this morning by Jesus. So uh, let's, let's look into this, beginning in verse 1. Chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Some translations may say at hand. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the desert, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Now, kingdom of heaven is just a synonym for kingdom of God. Matthew was a, a, a Jewish writer, and as a good Jew would, he was avoiding the word God often, and so he substituted heaven for that. But the kingdom of God was coming, and last week we spoke about how the kingdom of God is a reference to the very might, the very power, and the very glory, and the very salvation of God himself. To announce that the kingdom was coming was to announce that the very king himself was coming. Now, there's two different Greek words for repentance used in the New Testament. The one used here refers to a change of mind. 
Something happens in here, and not just, you know, mine and, and the, the brain space, like the, the inner space, the inner self, the inner person. It's a call for something internal to be changed and to be altered in preparation for this coming king. And for centuries, they have been waiting for the kingdom to be restored, for the kingdom of David to once again have one of, one of his descendants sitting on the throne. And they've been waiting for God to return, to restore restore the former glory of their kingdom. And John was here saying it's coming in the paths that need to be straightened, that need to be, to be worked through and that they're a little overgrown. We got to carve things out and get ready because the king is coming. The kingdom is at hand. And the unique thing was it was not a call to go clear the paths of Rome and the Roman soldiers that were marching in the streets. Rather, the path needed to be cleared by repentance, by an internal work, by a spiritual work, if you will. To clear the paths within, John was calling Israel to have a change of heart in preparation for this coming kingdom. So our first point this morning is repentance. There's a call here in this a chapter here to turn to a new way of life, a new way of thinking about life. They needed an internal change of heart to be ready for this king. Now, what follows is unexpected. Again, if your king was re returning to your nation after being absent for a long time, and there was a throne in Israel, but it was uh, occupied not by your king, but by a foreign one, you would assume that the, 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 the kingdom coming would be one that would displace that false king and set up the real one. But the king that was coming, he was coming to uh, uh, remove a different king from his different throne. And that battleground to do so was in the hearts of Israel. This is what caused John's ministry ultimately to take on the form of a, of a spiritual renewal movement, right? That there was a lot of people coming out. There's even secular sources. Josephus, he was a, a Roman historian who was hired by the Romans to kind of document all the crazy things that happened in Israel in the first century. He wrote about John the Baptist. He wrote about all the masses of people that were coming out to the desert to hear him preach and to be baptized. I mean, John's ministry was a big deal. Lots of people were coming. There was a renewal movement kind of happening, right? Uh, and this repentance was a call to confront your self if you were to be prepared. And as I said at the beginning, what came was really unexpected, which is our next point here, our next slide. It's just say, uh, preparing for the kingdom in unexpected places, and I can add unexpected ways. In verse 4, it says, John's clothes were made of camel hair, camel's hair. He had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. I can't prove it, but I think if you were to like actually talk to John, he would have had the crazy eyes and just been like a little off. Like, who's this guy? Right? Just a little, a little kind of just intense, right? I mean, I'm just, I'm just guessing this guy was like a really intense person to talk to, right? That he would just be like, he wouldn't, you know, you meet the people that don't just talk in like a normal voice, like they yell at you like about everything in like a positive way because they're so just worked up and excited. That was John, right? He was a passionate guy out in the desert, right? He was quite literally dressed up as an Old Testament prophet. Like he actually intentionally did that. He was, he probably maybe killed a camel and carved the hair himself, right? And he was eating bugs. Like this guy was, he wasn't just passionate. I mean, he was sold out to his calling. Like he was living in the desert. He didn't have a house out there. He was sleeping on the ground. Like he was all in on the ministry he was called to. And he was there and he was preaching and people came out to him from Jerusalem, uh, verse five here, and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. And they were confessing their sins and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Now Matthew was pointing out to us kind of the, the radical nature of John's ministry. And um, as I have a slide here, actually, I, I might have skipped it. I'm sorry. Um, there's a desert slide that pictures the desert. Did I put that in there? Somewhere. I didn't. Oh, okay. So I, I meant to put a picture of the, of the Judean wilderness. Like when you think of wilderness, you might think of 
um, you know, trees or something or, you know, but this is like an actual, not really like an, like a sandy desert. It's just like a cracked, you know, uh, hard soil, brown mountains, rocks everywhere, thorny bushes. I mean, this was the environment that this preaching was taking place. Now, here's my question for you. If, if you're expecting a, a spiritual renewal kind of movement to happen amongst God's people, um, let me describe Jerusalem for you. Jerusalem had a temple there. All the religious systems were there, right? All the sacrifices, all the priests, the high priests, like the, the very temple was, was there. If you went to worship God, you went to Jerusalem to do it. So you just might expect that within that institution, that would be where the next kind of renewal movement would occur. If there's a preparation to be done for kingdom ministry, if the king is coming, well, he's coming there. So let's go over there and do, this is in the desert that John is at. And people had to actually leave where those institutions were, right? Where the kind of status quo religious, they had to walk away from that and go out into the hot desert to talk to this crazy-eyed, really wild man out there wearing camel's hair. He's in the Jordan River, and he's baptizing people. That's, an unexpected, that's the first unexpected thing that we see here. Matthew's intentionally kind of pointing that out, right? This is an unexpected thing. There's another unexpected thing happening that he's baptizing in the Jordan River. Now in Jerusalem, I believe they're called mikvahs, there's, there's all kinds of little baptismals all over Jerusalem around, around the temple complex. You can still see them today. And that was where that if you went onto the temple mount itself, you would be ritually cleansed. You would be uh, essentially baptized, dunked, and you would come out, you would dry off, and you were ritually cleansed by doing so. Well, uh, Craig Keener, who's a scholar on first century Judaism, said, that's not what John was doing here. He was doing the kind of baptism that if you were not Jewish and you were a Gentile, but you wanted to convert to Judaism, well, then you did this kind of baptism. You went outside, you know, you went to this river and you were actually baptized. And it was a baptism of conversion. And John isn't baptizing Gentiles. These are Jewish people coming to him within Israel, receiving a baptism of conversion. You may say, like, well, I thought that they were, you know, that was God's people. Like, they were, they were good, right? And John was like, no, 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 no. What's coming is, is bigger than that. What's coming is he, he's after your heart here. He's, he, this king that is coming is going to be looking at an internal conversion. He, he's going to be asking for something within you, all of your heart, your mind, and your soul. Be prepared. And he's calling for that kind of, this is a baptism of conversion. He was announcing the need for a new deliverance and light of this kingdom that was to come. You know, the prophet Hosea, many centuries before in the, uh, in the Old Testament, he talked about this kind of ministry that was going to be needed when God returned. Listen to this in Hosea chapter 5, verse 15. I don't believe it will be behind me. Listen to these words. This is some seven centuries before John the Baptist. God said through Hosea, I will return again to my place. This implies an absence. I'm going to return until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face and in their distress earnestly seek me. And then there's like a, a response that comes, right? A prophetic kind of response. Imagine what if Israel, what if, what if these people responded to this? In verse one in Hosea chapter six, come, let us return to the Lord for he has torn us that, we may, that he may heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. Verse three is so beautiful. He says, let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers and the spring rains that water the earth. Come on, let us press on to know the Lord. To be baptized in preparation for this coming king was to ask that question, is my heart and is my soul ready for this? The Psalms referred to the kingdom of God as not just some kind of external thing out there, but rather the very roads, the very highways that would lead us to the kingdom are actually found within. Psalm 84 verses 5 through 7 says this, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, God, and whose hearts are the highways 
to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, as they're walking to the temple, but the highways up to the kingdom is inside of their hearts, they're walking in desert places. This is what it says. They make, because of their internal spiritual state is being renewed in God, it says they make the desert around them a place of springs, a place of life. The early rain covers it with pools that go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. Yes, the kingdom was coming. The grounds of preparation was in the hearts of his people. And this ministry, it was outside of the religious institutions of the day. It was outside of the religious status quo, if you will. Keep those things in your mind as we continue on. Now next on the scene in the story are the Pharisees. You have John and camels here and eating bugs. And the Pharisees were known for wearing this extremely elaborate, brightly colored, very costly and expensive and pricey kind of outfits, okay? So just imagine them kind of bumbling around in their, you know, crazy outfits. And there's the camel hair guy down there baptizing. Two different kinds of people here are walking up, okay? This leads us to our next point. The work of the coming kingdom will be found through or in the work of the spirit and not in status quo religion. Verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers. Whew. Told you he was a crazy guy, right? He just doesn't hold back. It's like, You brood of vipers. I can just see like the Pharisees are kind of far away. He just starts like yelling, like even those are far away. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourself, oh, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you, out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. Verse 10, the ax is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with the water for repentance. But after me? Will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. I mean, that is some old school, like Old Testament prophetic stuff going on here right? Judgment, spiritual power coming in, dividing those who know God and those who do not know God. This was coming for the crowd and for the Pharisees. And these Pharisees are coming from Jerusalem and they were seeing the crowds. They were hearing John's preaching and they showed up with maybe curiosity. We don't know their exact intentions. John seems to perceive that their motives were not uh, okay. Uh, they probably came not with genuine intentions to listen, to be confronted with, maybe, they felt threatened. I mean, they were the religious leaders, and here are these, this mass of people out in the desert, and they weren't in their, you know, complex listening to their teaching, but they're out listening to the camel hair guy's teaching. And they're like, I, what's, what is this? Let's go maybe scope it out. So, what, I don't know, is, what, what is happening here? Um, with all of these thoughts happening, they did not seem to be at least asking or inquiring with the right questions, these Pharisees. It seems that they assumed that they were already accepted by God. Like that wasn't even a thought on their mind. Like we're good. We're just coming to check this out. Maybe John's message didn't apply to them, they thought. But the reality was that, that, that inside they remained unchanged. Inside they actually did not know God. They only knew about him, but they didn't know him. Does that make sense? They knew about him, but did they know him? John's words were fierce to these religious leaders. This turning from an old life to a new, it anticipates that if you actually meet God, fruit will be coming out of that. Like if you actually turn and have a change of heart and mind, it's going to show with the fruit in your life. An actual, genuine, full spiritual transformation will take place if you actually meet the coming king. And John is saying, are you actually ready, guys? to be spiritually transformed because the one who is to come is going to be the ultimate final decider, right? If 
of what it means to know God and what it means to not know God. He's coming. He's going to be that divining line in the sand. There's not another opportunity after. The time is now to respond, is what John was calling them. And he was saying, don't trust in anything else. Don't trust in any other, perhaps, you know, religious ways to be okay with God. No, that stuff is not going to matter anymore. You don't automatically belong to the kingdom because of your family, your religious commitments, or whatever it might be. The kingdom would be first to confront your inner self, the heart, the motives, your emotions, your thoughts, your very soul. And the kingdom isn't going to wait for you to be ready, is what he's saying. The axe is like already there, right? It's already down at the very roots. And this coming kingdom and the coming king is going to expose once and for all those who know God and those who do not know God. It's amazing how he says I'll be exposed. Like how, how will, we, will they be exposed? We know all that begins in repentance. John was preparing the way, but the ministry to come that would expose these things is how he describes it. Describes it with great spiritual power. I mean, listen, he's coming, the one after John coming, he said, I'm not even worthy to bend down and take off his sandal. In in this old ancient times, the work to do that was of the lowest of the lowest servant in a household. Like it was People's feet were gross in those days, right? I want to go into the fact there's no plumbing systems and where all that stuff was on the streets. And people's feet were gross, right? And he's saying, I'm not even worthy to stoop down and take this guy's sandal off. Like, I, I'm not even worthy to do that. That's how great he is. And he's not coming just to dunk water on your head. He's coming to dunk the Holy Spirit over you and also fire to cleanse you and to purify you. Who has such authority for such spiritual work in ministry? That's the one that was coming. And he uses this imagery of a winnowing on a threshing floor. Um, You know, the idea was, you know, in these up until fairly recent times, even I'm sure around the world it still happens, after they would, you know, pull wheat in the harvest, they would have a threshing floor. They would pick a breezy location. They would stab the, the, the wheat, they would toss it in the air. The breeze would blow away the shaft, the, the really light things that would unedible, it would blow away, and the edible stuff would fall back down, right? And you're dividing what is edible and what is not edible. And he's saying that's what this ministry is going to do. It's going to make that division. Who knows God and who does not know God. Now, you read that and you have like a holy awe you're like, whoa, this is a big deal. Who's this guy going to be, right? Um, who's, who's coming? And I, I ended up going farther, so the slides won't have this. Sorry, Larry. Um, who's coming, right? And he, he actually shows up just in the next verse. If you look at me here in verse 13, after saying all these words, you're, you know, uh, before I even read this, I want you to think about in your own mind, like, what image is conjured up in your mind? Imagine you just never, you know, if you're first time hearing this stuff, okay, what would you think of of the person coming? Right? Just have that image because I would assume that if you just heard those words, you would not anticipate this person to come up and ask for what he asks for. Listen to this. Verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. Now, immediately, there's an interesting question. Like, Jesus came to, you know, get his winning in a fork out and start preaching and start baptizing. But no, he came to be baptized. And John wasn't ready for that, right? I mean, John had a great grasp on what was happening, what was coming. I mean, he was preaching just like hellfire brimstone stuff. Like, he, he was all fired up, and he, you feel like he maybe had a good grasp, but suddenly Jesus shows up, and he's like, this is it. And in and, and the Gospel of John, you know, he even announces, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Like, he knew this was the man, but he, he like, I can imagine this scene, right? There's a whole line of people getting baptized, and Jesus just kind of quietly is, like, in the middle of them, right? Just there, not making a scene, and suddenly the next person in line to get baptized is Jesus. And John's like, why are you in line, right? The next verse here. John tried to deter him. It's like, get out of here, Jesus. Like, what are you doing? Right? He's like, I need to be baptized by you. What are you doing here? Right? And you come to me to be baptized? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all 
righteousness. So John was preparing the way for Jesus, but when he showed up, he was surprised. He was taken back because Jesus came to be baptized. Now, it kind of seems rather anticlimactic, right? You would expect this big guy to walk in or, or, you know, make some kind of big powerful spiritual scene or something. Everybody just like falls and they're getting just, you know, baptized and everybody's like, yeah, we're going to, I don't know what scene you may expect from this, but Jesus, this this humble, quiet, meek person just kind of walks up and he's like, I'm ready to be baptized, right? And it feels like, where's the, where's the power? Where's the might? Where's, where's the king's crown? Where are his robes? Where's his war horse? Like, what, what is going on here? Why is he seeking baptism? So just to remind us of our first story, okay? Imagine that you're getting ready for the president and the prime minister of England to come to your home, right? You're expecting a motorcade. You're expecting helicopters and secret service people, like, whispering in all corners of the street and just traffic to be shut down. And you're expecting this big scene to come. But imagine the day that they're due a 2004 Honda Civic with rust on the top shows up. And they come out like wearing flannels and, and they're like, hey, I baked this cherry pie for you last night. You know, thanks for having us. You'd be like looking around like, what's the joke here? Like, what's the trick? What's, who are you? What's going on here? Because you're expecting something else. That's what happened here, right? But Jesus says it's fitting to fulfill all Righteousness. In other words, he says, this must be done, John. It must be done. What was being communicated by the sinless God in the flesh receiving a baptism of repentance? Now we know it wasn't because Jesus had anything to repent of. It was a, shock, it was a shocking and unexpected reality of the kingdom at full display because God's kingdom was coming and it had indeed come. And as a king arrived, the very son of God, he himself was in skin and bones, identifying himself with the very sinners that were entering and exiting the river before and after him. The good news of the kingdom shows in this chapter, and it was this, that God would identify with us. He would usher in the kingdom by becoming one of us, experiencing all that we experience, all the temptation, all the suffering, the loss of friends and family and pain and all these things and the joys of life too. He would experience all of them. And just read the very next chapter and he's thrown into the worst temptation imaginable for any one of us. This was all a part of God's grand plan of salvation for humanity. And the thing was, it was unexpected. So what did John do? It says in verse 15, he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up out of the water. Just imagine this scene. And behold, the heavens were open to him. I don't know what that means. Like something happened. Like something opened up. Right, that wherever heaven is and where earth is, like there was a place kind of like Jacob's ladder in the Old Testament. Suddenly it just met. Like it just, the window opened up and this voice just spoke. And as it was speaking, it said the spirit of God descended like a dove. And Luke describes it coming down in bodily form. I don't know what that looks like, but it must have been amazing and actually observable because they wrote about it. And this voice just came from heaven as heaven and earth met in that moment. And it said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So how do we end the sermon today? What do we draw from this passage? I want you this morning to once again, I want all of us to be confronted with Jesus and the coming of his kingdom. Because here's what I want to argue for this morning. I know that my my own arrogance could assume that, man, I I got Jesus down packed. Like, I I got, I know who he is. If he walked up, I'd be the first person to run up here like, oh, Jesus, this is awesome. I'll kind of be one of your disciples. I want to follow you around. Like, I would have anticipated and expected all that he's doing and kind of helped finish the sentences for him. But like, I'm just going to be your shadow. Like, I'm here for you. That, you know, I would assume that I would have understood stuff. Like, I would have got who he is. But in this passage, nobody got it. Let me remind you of how Jesus the King did receive his crown. Can I remind you of this? That he received it in mockery, and it was no crown of gold. 
It was a crown of thorns. He did receive his kingly robe, but it was stained from his own blood. He did receive a throne, but he was nailed to his and lifted high in suffering. That is how he became our king. The message of God's kingdom and how it came and who brought it, it should still confound us. It should still bring us in awe. And we can assume that if he showed up, we would still be just as confused as these people were because he is a complex God in flesh. He is uh, one that it's almost like you've ever been fishing. When I was a kid, I loved to catch little rainbow fish in my neighbor's lake down the street. And if you're trying to get the hook off of those fish, you squeeze down too hard, what happens? Right? Just slips right out of your hand. And I think that's what, what this is like. Like if, if you think you understand Jesus, you start pressing down a little too hard. He's going to slip right out of your arms, right out of your hands and confuse you. Say, whoa, I, I still don't know. I still don't quite understand you, Jesus. Like, I love you, but I, this is confusing. And that was most people's experiences with him. So my question for you today is maybe you know him in this room, but I'm telling you, there is still more of him to know. My question is in this story, like, who do you identify with? It's easy to want to identify with a John the Baptist kind of person, right? Who's, who seems to be responding. He has some questions, but he still kind of responded correctly. But I often wonder if you and I are more like the overconfident Pharisees that just kind of think we're good. This don't really question, you know, our own spiritual state. We're just like, we're good. Oh, there's this thing going over here. Jesus over here. Cool. We're good. Are you willing to let him actually confront you? Like, are you satisfied with where you are right now in life? Like, are, is your state, your spiritual condition and state, are you just okay with that right now? Or are you hearing these words, there's a burning happening, saying, I want more of Jesus. Like, I want to be wrecked once again as if the first day that I knew him. Because that was what was happening here in this passage. I want you to ask that question for yourself. Don't stay just content where you are. Press into him, as Hosea said. Press into knowing him more, and he will confuse you. He will, but you'll find yourself in awe of him as you press into him. And you'll find yourself want to keep pressing into him. What if God is ready to do a work among us? What if he is ready to do work among you? And like this whole story, it's something unexpected. What if his might, what if his power shows up among us? Will you recognize it? What if right now his kingdom is showing up? What if it's happening like in great power among us and the spirit is working very powerfully in your own life that you were looking somewhere else or expecting something else that maybe he did in the past? Looking for a repeat? of what he did, you know, 10 years ago or whatever. But he's working and you're missing it. Isaiah anticipated the unexpected nature of the kingdom's coming many centuries before. Listen to how he described this. Isaiah 43, verses 16 through 21. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse Army and warrior, they lie down, they cannot rise, they are extinguished, quenched like a wick. He's referring to the splitting of the Red Sea. Read Exodus. I mean, talk about a spectacular supernatural event. There's Israel, a few million people. There's the sea, there's Pharaoh's army. They're done. As we say in our house, they're donezo, right? They, they got nowhere to go. They're done. Until God actually causes a sea to split into dry land. And they walk through Pharaoh's army follows, the sea collapses, and they're, sa they're saved. God says, look, that's, that was me, guys. Like, yep, yeah, I did that, okay? But in verse 18, remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Verse 19, behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness. Where was Jesus baptized again? Right? You see how there's some connection points here? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. 
Maybe John chose his location on purpose here. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I will give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people. The people whom I form for myself. This is what he is declaring here. He's saying, there is a work coming and it's new and it's unexpected. My plea to you guys this morning is if you stay fresh in Jesus, if you are pressing into him and he starts working among you, my, my, my prayer is that you somehow can find this kind of blank slate. You celebrate what he did in the past, but don't miss what he's doing in front of you. And one of the quickest ways to prepare for, to, uh, to actually be aware and to perceive what he's doing is repentance, is purity within, is, is, is righteousness within. That's why the call here for the kingdom is coming at hand, it was a call of repentance. The grand spiritual renewal movements throughout history, you know how those began? With personal and little congregations like us experiencing actual spiritual renewal ourselves. When we meet Jesus all over again and it starts bleeding out of us and his work is something entirely new, entirely surprising, and even our community in our city will say, what in the world is going on? That has happened so many times in church history, and it was happening here in the desert. Turning from sin is a way to prepare that. A humble crying out to Jesus for help. That is the very plow in which the Spirit of God comes ready for our hearts to plant the seeds of his kingdom within. So all we can do this morning is repeat Hosea's refrain, let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going is sure, like he will show up, friends, like he will be after you. He will come just as the showers come, just as the snow comes, and just as spring is coming. He will come. So as we close today, um, we, we do have our kingdom stories. And so uh, we are closing with another testimony today. So if I could call up the Midoris. There they are. They have a surprising story, just like many of you do. We're going to hear from many of you throughout the next few months. Grab that microphone here. Yeah, there we go. All right. Pretty good. Hello, guys. All right, so um, let's begin with, I guess, just a brief childhood story. Um, do you know we can start with you? You have a very interesting childhood story. I do. As a matter of oh, fact, can you use the microphone? our daughter, the daughter Julie, a couple of years ago said, Dad. Oh, let me see. Let me see. It might be off here. There we go. Our daughter a couple of years ago said, Dad, you need to share with me your journey through life as a child because I know very little about your growing up as a youngster. She said, you need to put it in letter form for me so I can have it to keep. So this is what I wrote. Can you... I was sitting here daydreaming about all the years gone by. It all began March 2nd, 1948. I was born in a small town called Teramo, Italy, and I had no idea that at the age of six, I would be coming to America, the land of hopes and dreams. We arrived in New York, Ellis Island, then migrated to Wilmington, Delaware. I remember my first day of school, shy and unable to speak the language. And it made it a real challenge for me to keep up with my fellow students. And as life would have it, I survived. Fast forward, my high school years were full of hope and wonder, and by now I was becoming confident and myself in many ways. Football was a way to release all of my energy and frustrations of my early years. The practice sessions made me appreciate the discipline and the sacrifice it takes to become a good athlete. 
It paid off for me when I was honored as the first team All-State and the most valuable player in the 1966 All-Star Game. My future was becoming bright and included offers to a few universities. A small school in Nebraska was my first stop with an offer of a full scholarship. However, my heart was not in it. I made arrangements to return to Delaware to pursue a local university. Wesley College made me an offer that made my decision clear. My freshman year was a good one and I made the team and enjoyed a good season. My sophomore year was not so enjoyable. However, as a matter of fact, it was a painful one. At practice, I was clipped from behind and it caused my clavicular bone to dislodge, ending my career. However, I was not a quitter. When my healing was fully developed, I made arrangements to try out for the Pottstown Firebirds, a farm team for the Eagles. I must admit, I enjoyed putting on the uniform. For the next few weeks of practice, I discovered that my shoulder bone was not so forgiving. It was then that I realized that it was time to move on. In 1973, I started my own construction company and had good success over the 45 years of business. Then I received a higher call to serve Emmanuel Church as an elder for the past 20 years. I enjoyed being married to my wife, Mary Ann, for some 40 plus years. We are gifted with a son and a daughter that has brought us great joy in our lives. That's my testimony, BC. Now we'll talk a little <laughs> bit about after Wait, Christ. Just really quick, one more question. Like, what was a, a particular challenge with being an immigrant as a kid? Like, if you can recall, like some specific just struggles. Being the challenge yeah. was to mingle with those who were like-minded, uh, being only able to speak Italian was very difficult to me, mm. the transition into English. So they had, I had to repeat the first grade. So that put me kind of behind. Yeah. And, and you know, it's like that song Johnny Cash had, The Boy Named Sue. Yeah. Remember that song? Mm -hmm. And I felt that way somehow because they would make fun of me all the time. Mm. You know, Dino the Dinosaur, Dino the Dego, those, those kinds of things. And it, it hurt. And it was hard to overcome those years, but somehow the Lord got me through, even though I didn't know him at the time. Has it provided you with uh, compassion for, you know, when you see immigrants today in similar circumstances? Exactly. You yes. need guys to see that, right? Uh, Mary Ann, what about, uh, what about your childhood story? Well, it certainly isn't that extreme, but I'm a born and raised Delawarean mm -hmm. uh, to a Polish descent mother and a father that was Pennsylvania Dutch and German and a little bit of any, everything. So I'm literally a mongrel at heart, <laughs> uh, raised Roman Catholic, very pious, I must say. I scrubbed floors for the nuns and shopped with them. I did it all. Um, I was the middle child of two older brothers and two younger brothers. And um, although my father wasn't Catholic, he was a high Episcopalian. I understand that's supposed to be next to Catholic. I don't know that for sure. Um, but he saw that we got to church despite everything. I mean, uh, snowy days, we got there. And uh, we were a beach-loving family. Uh, every Sunday, we would get up and go to a 5.30 mass. Um, we would come home, mother had breakfast, packed lunch. We were sitting on Rehoboth Beach at 9 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> the boys and the younger, uh, myself and my younger brothers would stay on the beach with mother and father and the older ones would go to fishing and crabbing and clamming. Mm -hmm. um, I had um, gotten a scholarship to Ursuline School. I chose not to go there because when I went there, they had bars on the windows. And I told mother, it was a jail. I'm not going there. I'm not doing that. <laughs> so I went to a public school and got my first real glimpse of life. <laughs> I mean, people, crowds, words I've never heard before. 
and I survived. I survived. I was a student council member and all that. I did not go to college. My next step was right out into the workplace for Travelers Insurance Company, where I worked for 19 years. I actually met Dino before I knew Dino through a coworker at work. And uh, Dino and I were older when we got married. But back up a little. I was with my girlfriends, and I always said, the gospel at church, they give us so little. Why do they keep that little black missile and that great big thing up on the altar? What's in there that we don't, they're not telling us? And uh, my girlfriend, I would go to bowling, and I'd, I'd say, can you look this up in the Bible for me? Because she wasn't a Catholic. So I was itching for the Lord back then without mm. even really knowing it. And still going to church. I even went to church at lunchtime on my break. I mean, around the corner from church, there was, I mean, from work, there was a little chapel. And um, it was on the coattails of my husband that I actually came to the Lord when I started mm. dating him. So he, uh, he took the fire and ran through to me and the family. So, yes. Yes, yeah, so you guys became Christians as adults. Yes, right? yes, as and adults. And so before and after... Right, you have a, a vivid, you know, experience becoming in, a, in your adult life. So, what was that like, kind of before Christ and after Christ? The changes. Well, the I've always explained it that, and I think I've heard other people say this. I knew of him, but I didn't really know him. I, I didn't know that he had the heart to love me like he does. I just, and I mean, as a young girl, and I mean, really young in school, I can remember that nun smacking it into me. Get this triangle in your head. There's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I mean, they talked of it, but they never let you have that personal, personal relationship that I ultimately went through the waters of baptism and was born again. And, you know, no pastor ever had a sermon growing up that actually pointed to me. He's talking about me. How did he know that from the Bible, Pastor John Serrato? I mean, it was amazing that how the Lord opened your mind and your heart, and mm. you know that it's time because he's talking to you. That's great. But you do know. I have a memorial stone here in front of me that I've saved over the years. Visitor card from Woodland Baptist Church, January 28, 1979, is when I was introduced to the Lord Jesus, and it happened Unexpectedly, I was at a tavern one evening with a friend of mine, and we were kind of talking, you know, tavern talk, and then all of a sudden religious talk came up, and he said to me, he said, uh, how would you like to go to church with me tomorrow morning? I'll pick you up at 10 o'clock. Now, I had a couple of martinis, a couple of drinks, and I wasn't quite, you know, aware of my mindset, and I said, well, okay, I'll, I'll, think, I'll think about it. Yeah, go ahead and pick me up. So at 10 o'clock, he rang the doorbell, and off to Woodland Baptist Church, we go. Now, bear in mind, being a Catholic, you're, you're not supposed to be darkening any Protestant church. So I didn't know what to expect, and we're all 95 on the way to Woodland Baptist Church. We get into the church, and I'm looking around, looking for the saints, you know, the statues. And of course, there were, there were none there except the cross in back of the baptistry. We walked in, they had some announcements, they had uh, three sets of songs, and I was not used to drums and pianos and guitars, so I was kind of uneasy a little bit. And then I remember John, the preacher, as a matter of fact, we spoke of John this morning. John Serrato preached the, the sermon on um, the Radiant Church. It really had nothing to do with salvation. However, at the end of the sermon, he said to the congregation, I want you to take hands, the person to your left and the person to your right. And we did so. And he said, we're gonna sing the Lord's Prayer. And we began to sing the Lord's Prayer and that's when the other, the unexpected happened. It was like liquid love that was poured into me. And I was never the same since that day. Went back home, 
told my friends, I need, I need to share some thoughts with you. And I had them come over to my place. And I shared with them what had happened to me. And they said, well, he'll, he'll get over it. Give him a couple more weeks. He'll get back to normal again. <laughs> well, lo and behold, I've never been the same. Yeah. I remember that song that always comes to mind that only takes a spark to get a fire going. And soon all those around will warm up and it's glowing. That's how it is with God's love. Once you've experienced it, you share his love to everyone. You want to pass it on. And as a result, my wife came to know Jesus. My mother came to know the Lord Jesus. My brother came to know the Lord Jesus. My sister came to know the Lord Jesus because of one fire, one spark. And I praise God for that. Amen. Amen. That's awesome. I want to call our worship team up at this point. Um, as you're coming up, just 30 seconds, if, if you have any, anything, any wisdom accumulated after hearing the sermon, just sharing your story that you want to share with the church right now about the unexpected work of God in your life. What could you share? There, there, there's some, I have written down, there's some takeaways over the 40 years that I've been here at Emmanuel. And just let me share them with you. And I would say this to Emmanuel Church. Build on the foundation that's already in place here. Not with wood, hay, or straw, but with costly stones, silver, and gold. Number two, don't give up. Stay the course. Better days are within reach. Number three, exercise your gifts. Put them into practice. Our motto should be here at Emmanuel, duty understood is duty performed. Number four, stay in your spiritual lane. Don't try to be someone you're not. Just be yourself. Number five, develop patience. You're not going to agree with everything that our church has to offer. Let's talk about it. Let's turn the corner and make the adjustment. Number six, make Sunday a priority. Come to church on time. Practice hospitality. Bring a spiritual offering to the gift as a gift to the Lord. And then number seven, what you give the Lord, he always takes. What he takes, he cleanses. What he cleanses, he fills. And what he fills, he uses. Amen? That's good. Thank you, guys. Can you give them a round of applause?